Hello. All right, we're live. Hi, everyone. Happy hey. Tuesday, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. Right, now, today we've got quite an interesting topic to discuss, haven't we? So if we do a quick just rerun of what we've been doing in these sessions, um, so we've laid out how to do the perfect portfolio, the perfect CV, how to smash the interview. Um, we went through that in quite a bit of detail. And today we're going to talk about really interesting topics. So this is going to be the period following the interviews. So if you've got your you know, CVs out to 100 practices in London, you've had interviews with, let's say, 12 of them, and you've gone all the, through all the interviews next we're going to be talking about that world after you know the feedback uh, right through to the offers and if there's any rejection how to handle that um so yeah i thought we'd just dive straight in so Stephen, will i think you know the first, let, let's say you know we're, we're i'm in a situation where i've just had say five interviews i'm in the sort of uh post interview world in terms of the popular i followed your advice though didn't i i sent I, I got 100 practices i sent cvs out to all those practices and i got multiple interviews because of it now i'm in a situation where i'm sort of you know you're up late at night thinking about if you've done well or not you're you know you're always going to be a bit anxious aren't you so in terms of the feedback, I think that's the first bit we want to kick off with. Um, you know, we always tell people about calling people back up for feedback. So I want to dive in. So, Stephen, how long do you think we sh- they should be leaving it? You've done your interviews. What's the sort of feedback time frame? Good question. So hopefully one of the things to get in at the end of the interview, if you can. And if you forget, it's not the end of the world. What you want to kind of get in is something like, when can I hear back from you? Right. So make the mental note in your head. Off that time frame. So if you're the interview is on Monday, they might say they want to get back to you at the end of the week. They might say they want to get back to you at the end of the week. Make a note of that time frame. And after the interview, what I would do is I would typically follow up a few days after. So let's imagine it's a five days gap from the interview to the deadline that they said. Okay. You you maybe want to say a thank you note, not straight after the interview. Because you could do that, but the thank you email, a thank you email can also be used as a tool to re-engage. It's a bit like on Facebook. Remember, we had that nudge function where everyone was nudging each other. And if you didn't nudge someone back, they'd be like, why do you nudge me? And all this crazy stuff. Well, you, what you need to think about is that the nudge was useless on Facebook. I mean, it had no purpose. What a thank you can do in terms of contacting an employer is a little bit like a nudge. So... Imagine they're probably seeing one or two people after, maybe, or you're the end one. Either way, they're going to be thinking about, who should I hire? And what you want to do is get in the top of their head. And one way to do that is to go, dear Jack, it was great to see you last Friday. I really enjoyed the company and culture. And since then, I know we talked about modular residential. I got super excited. I've signed up to one or two events, and I've been following what the practice has done. I've seen you've done this on Tuesday, done that. Super excited to um, be in line with the practice. And, th- and that's the kind of thing you want to do. You want to basically rejog their memory in a way that's not too pushy. You know, and, and and if they set a time frame, you want to be respectful on that time frame. If so, if I say I'm going to get back to you on a Friday, and on a Tuesday you're like, "Hey, Steve, hey, Steve," and I'm like, "Dude, you you kind of you're being a little bit full on because I'm busy right now." So you you want to get you want you want to get the balance, and so work within their time frames, and use one or two things like that as a technique to re-engage. I would um, like to sort of add on to that or maybe cover overlap a little bit. So 
it's always you must always find out when are they going to get back to you ask right after the interview or even during the interview when am I likely to hear feedback from this interview because that's pivotal in making sure that you don't become annoying because then if you then call up on the Friday when they said they were going to get back to you maybe it's um, late in the day you've not heard anything you can give them a ring realistically because you know that's when they said they'd get back to you they haven't got back to you it's near the end of the day it's always worth giving them a call that way so i i always i'll always find that because the thing is as well they potentially have other people in line that they've got to interview and so you don't want to call up in between or anything particularly as well if they're currently interviewing someone because it's disruptive and it accidentally paints a bad picture of you because they you know they're so they put a negative uh, label on you unconsciously. So it's yeah. important to try and you know, respect their time, the time frame that they said, and then follow up with a call to say, thank you. I'd really love to get feedback because all I've been thinking about is com- your company, I've been thinking about the event, social events, maybe just bring something back up that you talked about in the interview. Did I leave uh, such so, a good impression? I can't remember yeah, you no. following up with me. Uh, did you? Now you chase me. Oh, yeah, I think you. <laughs> you were the best. I definitely think, guys, you know, when it comes to um, that whole feedback situation, I, you know, not that I can empathise with it too much, but I reckon that's what a lot of people have um, are quite anxious about. You know, the idea of calling up for feedback but then scared because they'll come across as either too eager or that sort of annoyance thing. So I think it's, it's quite good that we yeah. go into it. Um, I- and so, you know, like... Say, you know, for example, you do have an interview with someone and you just figure the question doesn't get asked for whatever reason um, mm. about the, the feedback when, when they can expect to hear back. What, um, I guess the obvious question would be, how long would you guys give it um, before you actually actively went and, you know, called them up? There's a, there's a few techniques, Jack. I mean, you, you could, it's about thinking on your feet in this scenario because it's easily done, right? You're so in the moment. You're in the moment. Again, we're Eminem. I don't know why we keep bringing back up Eminem, but you're in the moment and you lose yourself and you got so engrossed in the conversation that you actually forgot to ask. It happens. It really does. It's a bit like when you go to the party sometimes and you chat to someone and you're like, I don't remember their name. I didn't ask. I asked and uh, maybe I asked and I've forgotten and it's going to be so embarrassing. So these, these things happen all the time. There's ways around it. You could even just ring the receptionist and you could be like, I absolutely love the company. I met with one or two of the directors. I didn't ask when when I when when they would get back to me. Do you know if there's a particular time or can I ask? And and what I would even do then is I'd either ask the receptionist and she might know. And if not, you you could be put through. I mean, the 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 real ballsy way is to is to do what we talked about, like the thank you email. You could even do it on the phone, Jack, or you could incorporate in the thank you email. Um, it would be great to hear your thoughts. Is there a particular time uh, deadline that you plan to get back to the candidates, including myself? Question mark. And this is one of the things that we always talk about, Jack and Will, in our jobs, isn't it? Where it's like, if you answer, really important in emails, and especially on the phone, to ask questions. And what we do by nature is we get conscious because we think, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit maybe is that a bit rude? And the answer is no, it's not rude to ask a question. It's a bit like on a date. Will you go out with me? Okay, yes or no? If you don't kind of sheepishly go around the pine and be like, oh, you know, this is very nice and that. You know, sometimes when people go like, I think he was asking you out. And they, you, they're like, really? 
Was he? <laughs> Is that him asking me out? And that's the same thing. You've got to be the borderline. There's a difference between a very clear question and being somewhat direct in a friendly way than being pushy. It's not about, so Jack, we met last Friday. Do you, when do you plan to get back to me? Do you have a decision yet? That's a bit too forward. But if I went, hey, Jack, really appreciate Moran Architects. Um, I loved learning about all the crazy stuff that you've been up to and the amazing projects. And I just was thinking about all weekend about what it'd be like to be in the office and been following the news. Um, is there a particular time frame that you plan to get back um, to me? Or uh, is, there a, is there a day that uh, I can know about? Uh, or you, you think you can let me know why? And word in that way, word it in a way, it makes it clear. But you want to ask a question at the end, not like it was really good to meet you. So thank you for your time and opportunity. I'll go now. Bye. Because like what? You just kind of shut down your own phone call. You want to be like, um, you want to. You could even be like, I hope it was a great interview. And um, is there a particular time and date you can get back to me by? I like it. You know, it's, it's that it's that kind of thing, and yeah. then, uh, that I think makes a big difference. You have to put yourself out of your comfort zone, don't you? Um, but yeah. like, because no one, no one's gonna like sort of call up and be like, Oh, hey, I just had an interview, forgot to ask, but do you know when I can hear, hear from? I think that's it's just kind of getting over that comfort zone, yeah. isn't it? And it, do you know what? It's really hard to do at first because it's the thing of we naturally like to fill space, and you know me, I can talk for whales. And the thing, and the, the thing is, you've got to balance it up with talking with substance. And sometimes you've got to let there be silence. And it's a very scary thing to ask a question and pause for an answer. It's like, now, that feels a bit like, oh, you know, you're like, oh, what's the next point? Or, and it's like that. It's like that. It's like the, uh, the Red Dead uh, standoff or something, isn't it? It's like that moment where you're like, oh, here we go. I'm asking the yeah. question. And pull for the gun. The thing is, though, you've got to, and it's that, and it goes back to it's the same thing about asking for salaries and stuff. You you got to remember that actually salaries, the starting date, and asking difficult questions in a professional manner is part of being a professional. And there's a big difference about asking for it in a nice way and asking for it in a bad way. To say like, well, I think I'm worth thirty-two thousand, so an offer of anything less is not that appealing to me. So like, oh, all right, you just see what it is. But to go like. What do you think the salary is uh, for the role? And if they say the salary is 30,000, you go, well, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. I was actually on 30,000 pounds for the last two years. And I do feel like my skill sets are for a lot of value. Appreciate your different brands and brackets in the company. However, what about if I came at the, at the salary, which is an increase for me, so I'm motivated at 32,000. And if I work hard and prove my worth, uh, we can discuss that salary against my performance in the room. Is this something we can do? See the pause? I paused. I was, there was like the, the, the moment and you've got to do that sometimes. And I just feel like if you don't do that, and, and, and this is the thing of right now, it's going to be so much more comfortable to go for interviews and to let there be no feedback. There's going to be so much, or it's, it's going to be so easy. And we were talking about it well in terms of our job sometimes. It's so easy to go, oh, I don't want to deal with that conversation because it might be awkward or I, I, maybe I could come across as too pushy. And so I'm going to leave it. And what happens is things change. And so in our job, it might be that an architect then meets another architecture practice and then is in a position where they're uh, 
their priorities have changed, which is normal, and that's fine. Uh, then sometimes you can go the other way, where a person can become too confused, and then they actually still want the company that they met at the start, but they've seen so much stuff now that they don't know what's going on. And it's the same thing with interviewing. You can be like, well, well I was definitely going to hire Will. Now I'm not too sure because I met Rachel, and I met this, and I met that, and you've got to... And then if you're kind of not there in the foreground and you're not kind of rooting for yourself in a little bit of a way and you're not making yourself at the forefront of their mind, you get lost because suddenly in their deliberation uh, between uh, Jack and Will, I've gone, oh, well, you know, Jack is sort of second interview. He was really good. and then but, but then at the time when I met you, Will, I thought you were number one. And it's that kind of thing of like, but then if Will started to bring me up, and I'm like, oh, do you know what? He was so nice on the phone. And I liked him chasing up. And, oh, do you know what? I'm thinking it would be good. And this is the kind of thing you got to do. At the same time, though, you can't push it too far because it's, it's a delicate art form. And it is a bit like the date. You want to be a, a date as in you got to make a good impression. No one likes someone too keen. No one likes anyone too pushy. But you also want to be on, feel like someone wants to be on a date. You don't want to be with the wet flannel, you know, and you're just there on the date like, oh, no, this is just taking forever. And then and I think there's a lot of parallels between dating and, 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 and jobs. Because if you think about it, and I always say, people want to work with people they get along with and talented people. And it's the same with dating. You want someone bright. You want someone that's interested in you and respectful and culturally agrees and all fits well. And, and I watched a really good podcast. Like um, Hawkins Brown did a really good five minute, five top tips. So, well, I think you're right. We need to do five top tips. So we're going to do five top tips, but I really liked Hawkins Brown one. And one of them was basically, um, he went through a few things. He went through passion, he went through interest, and he went through a culture. And that's what I'm talking about now is that he said at Hawkins Brown, he looks for people that really excited to work then and culturally fit. And when I say culturally, I mean almost ideologies, right? Because it's even like us in the team. So at McDonald Company, on the architecture team, there's an ebb and a flow. And when you get in the ribbon, ribbon it's fantastic. And, and to make that happen, you need people who kind of are there for the same goals and enjoy working with each other and have a bit of banter right now. And, you know, you wave a bow and you kind of uh, – I get to annoy you two a little bit sometimes, but we have a bit of fun with it. And we can look, see, I got you going. I got you smile, Jack. But that's the thing. If it's like that, you want people on the team who want to be there. And the, and then and I think that's the point. I mean, I'm at McDonald company because I want to be there. You're the same. We're all the same. Right. And that's the vibe you want to get in the interview and following up and asking professional questions, asking difficult things, suggest that. And by suggesting that, that's what gets you the job. Because people hire first with emotion. Jack's a fantastic guy. Do, 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 do. And then with the facts. And he has the rev in. Or maybe say way around. I go, I really like Jack, but you know what? Will, he, he might he might not be as, uh, uh, you know, uh, outgoing at first. Sorry, Will. At first... Oh, you're very outgoing, <laughs> but he has the Revit skills to back up. So, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about him. Okay. What I will say as well, just to add on to it, I think sometimes you should, 
quite rarely, but it can still happen. Sometimes the company can string it out for a really long time. Oh. And so whilst mm. whilst it's still, they still potentially could get back to you and therefore they, they're, they're putting you along, it's probably best. Not, you, don't want, you don't want to reject anything, but what you want to do anyway, regardless after an, after an interview, is that you don't want to just rest back and be like, right, that went really well company said they really liked me they're gonna get back to me later this week you don't want to just rest and put your feet up you want to just keep doing what you would have been doing before uh, in the first place because before you know that company could string you out for weeks and then suddenly they could turn around and be like sorry we didn't win the project that we were hoping to win we can't yeah. hide now and uh, so yeah. it's important to uh, once you've done the interview just keep applying keep getting interviews because you can't rely on one company or even more than one company uh, to take you on you've got even if you've got like five interviews lined up they could all end up being no's for whatever reason so it's important just to keep on having that conveyor belt so that you don't get in a position where you're back at square one again it's a really good point and i've seen that happening now there was um someone on the social and if you haven't checked out the architecturesocial.com definitely go there but really nice community of people who are also looking this is a supportive environment and i remember there's, there's one lady on there and she's super talented she's like but you know what i i i don't want to keep getting rejected i'm gonna give up and i'm just thinking like what come on and it's almost silly but you know what we're in a comfortable environment and we're all supportive. And, you know, my reaction is I should get my horn out and go, like, come on, get go get going. What are you waiting for? Why are you, like, why are you giving up after, like, one interview? You're so talented. And you do have to be out there. And let me tell you, you've got to go for it. And if you don't go for it, yeah, like Will said, a project could change. And remember, it's not personal. It's always, like, there can be so much choice. And, and the thing is, it's like me. I went for 10 interviews, and I got – all they got thinking I got two offers and in part one one offer was for 15 grand and I was almost going to take that and I went for an offer at 20,000 out of practice which was AJ 100 and the one I didn't think I'd get that was the pipe dream and it was the last one and it was the one where I was thinking Do you know what and I'm not sure and they got back to me the next day so and I kind of uh I did the the opposite approach. I just went, thank you very much, snapped the hand off and went, I can't wait to join. And I followed up with a big thank you. And that's the other thing as well. If you do get a job, make sure it's very clear. Also, do not accept a job offer and then not go and then go. Do not mess people around. That's the last thing you want to do. If you've got two offers or three offers to weigh up, it's better to say that you have those offers and that you plan to get back to them on a certain time frame. And if they can't wait, then they're probably going to tell you. And that way it's fair. The last thing you want to do, and me and Will, we know this a lot, is to kind of go there, then not go there, then say you want to go there. And they, because what happens is the whole relationship starts to erode because they start thinking, oh gosh, is this person playing with us? Or is this person not a very good decision maker? And suddenly, you're then you, all that hard work you've done, you're becoming the person going like, oh, I don't know. And so you've got to, it's like in life, you've got to strong, strong professionals, you make decisions and you can make the wrong ones sometimes. And gosh knows I've made a few wrong ones, right? The thing is, though, 
you've got to live by it. And the thing is, there's no rush. There's no gun to your head with these scenarios of taking a job off the straight away. You can actually take your time. You can you can do it up. Just be fair with the time frame that you go back to them. And remember as well, if a company strings out getting back to you for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks, they might have a legitimate reason, completely like COVID right now. It's very, very temperamental. So you have to understand that because a project might come back on. If, a, if equally... Um, an architectural practice is being a little bit flaky with you. You know, there's no point to get upset. The last thing you want to do is write them a ma- or anything like that. Just think in your head, you know what? Maybe there are other better places out there. You know, maybe, maybe, but, and, and this is it, because not everyone's on the organized. And there's usually a lot of reasons why it's probably legit. But remember, though, it's just as much your decision as it is theirs. I think it's um, uh it's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? Rejection. I think, you know, oh. we make um, a lot of comparatives between dating and, and interviews. I think even myself as well, I think I've had some interviews, you know, where you've got not like the best feedback, but it has been like a rejection. And no matter, you know, how much you tell yourself you don't care, there is always that part of you that sort of wants to sort of wrap up, do you know what I mean? And stop. Oh, the yeah. um, that's what I liked, Will, what you were talking about as well. The conveyor belt sort of situation, you can't get off it because if you do, like it's easy to stay off it, isn't it? It's easy to get comfortable in this sort of world where you're just not applying for any jobs and you've got some, I don't know, some weird ideology in your head that a job's going to come to you. Um, I think that's a big thing. But moving mm. on in terms of the topics, I wanted to actually just discuss, you know, the offer itself. Um, yeah, so, so for those lucky enough to actually get the offer, I mean, most people will either get an offer when they either through verbal communication from a recruiter or they'll be contacted directly from the practice via email or telephone. Uh, aside from probably have a glass of champagne to celebrate, what, Stephen and Will, would you, how would you guys go about the offer? Okay, so let's really dig into it from the moment you get it, you know, to the moment of making your decision. Let's break it down. Okay, cool. What level? Let's pretend though the focus on this is a little bit more on the graduates right now, okay? Because when you go further in your career, everything's a lot more considered because basically you need to work out where you want to go. You need to think about what you, steps you want to go. It's very clear as a part one if you where you want to go in the industry. And, and I think that you have to instantly, before you get an offer, you have to weigh up where you want to work there based upon the actual the feeling you got in the interview, as well as the way they've handled it after. And if it's, you think it's a fair offer, you weigh it up on whether it's work that you'd like, the kind of company that you're interested in, and then you basically make, you can make a decision. Or you, I mean, what is your thoughts? Where's Jack on? Is he hiding over there or what? Where's I Jack? I think you're having a bit of internet difficulty, Steve. Yeah, you're all pixelated now. Let's, let's, let's go to Will. Let's, oh, am I pixelated? Oh, yeah, yeah, not me now. Oh, on my screen, Jack's gone. Oh, no. <laughs> let's go to Will and let, let, let's see how Will will go about it. Yeah, it's. I kind of agree with Stephen there because that's what I was thinking. Like, um, it's all well and good getting an offer, but you've got to actually think, do I want to work there? Because you could have come out of the interview and been like, actually, I really didn't like the office. The setup was wrong. The person I met was rude. I'm not really interested. So, yeah. you know, if, if if you don't want to work there, you, you don't have, just because you get an offer doesn't mean you have to accept it. Mm. Uh, you can decide to just turn it down. And that's fine if, um, if it's for a legitimate reason. Uh, and when I say legitimate, I mean, 
for something that's definitely not going to change once you get there. Um, so, for example, like the environment, the, the studio layout, the people, if they're there, it's going to make it very difficult to work and you're not going to enjoy it. And then you're going to be looking for another job um, months later after yeah. joining. Um, so it's important to work that out first. And, um, you know, and if you are interested, then, you know, all you need to do is just say, yes, thank you. Um, I would love to do so. Now, there are obviously complications to it if you, for example, have other interviews lined up or you're waiting for feedback from someone else, then it becomes a bit more tricky for you because you're thinking, well, I like this practice that given me an offer. I have an interview with another practice, this AJ100 practice that I'm really keen about. I'd love to see what they're about. And that's fine, I think, because what, but what you should do is, a bit like what Stephen was saying earlier about being respectful about a timeline, maybe let them know, say, thank you, really happy that I've got this. I do have another interview with this company tomorrow yeah. and I would like to see them as well just to, just to give me a better idea. It's of so tricky, though, isn't it? It's, it is. It is really. It's really the next. I think. I think. Do you know what? The if you've got an interview after an off, I think oh, that's a tricky one. I, 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 I don't think know if I would. If, if, if I was an employer and you said that you're interviewing after made an offer, I would assume you're not interested. So that's my first opinion. And you know, we're allowed to have different opinions on this show, right? That's why it's a debate. That's <laughs> what I what I like about what you said, though, is you're on about timelines, and you're on a, what you're on about is transparency, which I think shows a lot of respect. So. What I would do is if I had a, a few interviews early in the week and then an offer came in early, because sometimes it happens where one comes in and they go, we want you, da 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 And they're almost like, come on, you're going to join. And you're thinking, well, I'd like to hear back from Fosters and Partners or so-and-so. So there's a way to flip it around and say, look, so-and-so, Jack Moran, Architects, Super. I mean, I I loved our interview, and I really appreciate you coming back with with um with an offer straight away. The thing is, I've seen other practices, and while I am inclined to take that offer, I need to know I'm doing it for the right reasons, and I need to hear all the other ta- uh, offers on the table so that it's not something I look back on, and I think I've done it in haste. And therefore, I'm working for the wrong reasons. I want to know that I'm truly working that Jack Moran partners to do the next big Moran building and be part of the team. Therefore, the way I feel it's fair is that uh, I plan to get back with everyone on Friday. And it's Tuesday today. You've found me up for an offer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell everyone else that's the situation. And I'm going to let them know the timeline. And if they don't come back on the timeline, then um, then. I know, and also I might organically come back before. But what I can do is I can commit I can come back to you on that date. Is that, and I'm thrilled with it. I just need to digest and go through this in a professional manner. Is that okay? But that's, yeah, because you're, it's not like you're, it's, it's all about the wording, isn't it? That's what I like. Yeah. It's sort of, you're, you're putting the, um, you're sympathizing with them, saying, you know, you do appreciate it as well, but you have to make the point known that you're not just there to take the first job that sort of comes, you know, to you. Because um, you think about it, a little bit of awkwardness at that moment is better than you say you're, you know, you're an architect, you're a graduate part one. You've always wanted to do heritage work and that's what you want to go in through for your architecture career. 
But due to complications and wanting a job, maybe financial or for whatever reason, you accept a job working for an architecture practice that only does affordable housing. And six weeks down the line, you realize that you've made a mistake. You've then got the more awkward situation of having to leave your employer, you know, on such short notice as well, um, as opposed to just, you know, saying to them at the time, you know, you want to carefully consider your career as well. And well, I like that point you were bringing up as well. Essentially, you you can't make everyone like you, can you? And you're not going to like everyone. No. It's a, it's a um it's almost like having tunnel vision like that. You can't go into a practice just expecting to love it. You're going to meet people who you don't get on with. You're going to be interviewed by people who are probably some some aren't nice. Not everyone's a nice person. But do do not let you know the these small ambitions as well get in the way in front of your your goals as well. Um, but at the same time, you've got to recognise that getting a getting a a job during this time is hard. But even in normal, you know, without COVID and all the lockdown, it's still hard to get a job because you're always competing against however many other graduates. Um, so I think, you know, the big thing is it's all about sort of making yourself stand out as well. But keep your keep yourself in mind, you know, don't be that person who jumps into the first thing they see six weeks down the line. They have to make an even more awkward conversation for themselves. Yeah, and you know what, as well, and the other thing to put in your head is that sometimes I think, and I'm guilty of it, we're all guilty of it as well, sometimes you can really overthink a practice in an offer. And sometimes we can be too precious. And the worst sort of things is that, obviously, you've worked really hard, right? So you've worked really hard, you've got your first, and you've got a lot of stuff, and not everyone gets to work in Zaha Hadid or something, right? And not everyone wants to work in Zaha Hadid. It's a fantastic architecture practice, right? Well acclaimed. There's loads of different types of architecture out there. And this is the thing of what I'm trying to get at is the idea of practice in your heads and who you meet, it can be totally different. So you can meet an architectural practice maybe which isn't as famous and can be really humble. You can learn a lot of experience from there. Right, that gets you to the practice that you want to go to in the future. Or sometimes you can go work somewhere, like EPR, where I work, right? I mean, they've always been well-respected. In recent years, though, it's gone up and up and up. It reminds me a bit when I, when I went to Westminster, and to get in there, you had to have – you could get uh, ACC, and now you can't get in unless you've got all A's. And things change all the time. And being there along the journey, and just as much higher value you get out of it – is really important. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes a large architectural practice where you've got small responsibility uh, can be not as useful as a place where you get hands-on experience. At the same time, I worked in EPR, a very large practice, and I got given a lot of good responsibility. So the thing is, especially when you're early on in your career, you can jump in. And make sure, as long as it's somewhere that you want to work in some shape or form, don't be too precious about whether you finish at 6.30 or 5 or, or, or think about at the start getting some experience to get on the ladder and then you can move up from there. And remember, in your second or third job when you're a part two or a part three, you have that experience to draw no comparison. And that's where in terms of what our jobs and what we do. So in recruitment, that's where it gets more complicated. And I, I find it quite interesting is when you've got someone who's gone five to 10 years in their career and they've made choices and they've worked in different aspects and then they're looking for something in the next step, which is going to propel their career forward. Okay. But 
when you're a part one or a part two, maybe working somewhere which isn't technically famous, right? It's still propelling your career forward. And remember, what you're doing is you're then getting something that you can get your hands into and you can have an opinion on. Because until you've worked in an architecture practice, you don't necessarily have an opinion on it. You have a perspective on it, okay? You go, well... Uh, the perspective, the perception, I should say, or perspective of this architectural practices. If you look at their website, they're award-winning, they're all this stuff. But when you actually go there, it feels very different. And it's the same thing with another architectural practice. It might not necessarily have all the bells and whistles, or they might not be well-known, but you learn a lot. And that's the thing that when you're weighing up offers, it can be really consumed. It can be really difficult. You know, and some of the other thing is like uh, someone asked me a question today of, um, should I take 20,000 or part one? I know, with 22. And my opinion is how long is a piece of string? Salaries are so subjective, but they boil down to what you're worth. The thing is though, you have to start somewhere. And normally the first salary in terms of when you get a job as a part one, it'll normally be a bracket across the office. It's very rare you get uh, £500 or £1,000 more than someone else who has the same level of experience. And it's the same thing that when you two gentlemen started two years ago in recruitment, you all had the same salary. You all had the same salary. You were exactly the same, right? And there's a few reasons for that. So that when you go down the pub, and you say how much you've got, and you kind of go, oh, I'm on the, you've all got the same. But also, when you haven't got that experience to begin with, you start out the same. So whether it's 20, 21, 22, don't get precious about the salary. Think about what it can offer. And think about if you want to work that. And try not to overcomplicate it, you know? I think it's important to remember that salary is, uh, it can always change. So, for example, if it's slightly a little bit, below what you're looking for that can change i think what's important when you're starting out is what can this practice give you for your future and that's important because i think i've placed people uh, from uh, at aj 100 practices when before that they were at a two-man practice you know doing smaller bills but because they had so much experience as a part two or a newly qualified part three it meant that they were you know in terms of across the board they're probably above their peers uh, that were working at larger practices where they had a little bit less responsibility. So it's important to find out what practice can set you up for the future because the reality is the first practice you go to is probably not going to be the practice you stay with for the rest of your life. Um, I mean, some people do, but it's very rare that's the case. And that's because things change. You might move, location doesn't work for you, for example. So it's important to find somewhere that sets you up for the future, that can give you as much experience as possible and then salary of course you want it to be good but at the same time uh got to be got to make sure that um you don't stop yourself from taking a really good opportunity because the salary is 1000 less than what you initially planned for it's got to be livable uh, but it's about weighing up about what your priority is and everyone has a big list of everything they want to do like heritage it's got to be one uh walking distance from my home part-time you know you're never going to hit all those points you know find out what point is the the main thing that you're looking for and try and hit that and then all the other ones are bonuses 
Yeah, do you know what? So we got that question, and I'm tempted there. So I mean, let's talk about your question at the moment because you, you, it's, it's that tricky thing of you. Fit. Sometimes people can feel undervalued in terms of salaries and so forth. And the, you know, the thing is with architecture, right? It is a very unique job where you get to build buildings, make improvements. You get to help students. You get to build schools. I grew up in a very bad school, and we had a bad hospital. And to actually change stuff, you can. You can literally change the fabric of society. And it's the same with um, with residential. So right now there's loads of modular stuff happening. There's loads of low um, affordable housing, right? And this is this is housing that can make a massive difference in people's lives. And this is the kind of thing where I'm on about. When you're weighing up an architectural practice, you should be thinking about what do I want to do there and what, are you, what do I want to achieve? And what is that company going to teach me that I'm going to learn and what can I contribute there? And let me tell you, if you're thinking about the pound straight away, architecture is not for you. We all need money, right, to survive. The thing is, though, money comes with experience over time, and it is one of these things which is really tricky, and it is one of these things that, yes, of course, we all want to be valued and we all want to have salaries that we have a comfortable living what you need to do though is you need to remember of where you're at right now and what you want to do and my question is if you're thinking about if another career has two thousand three thousand pound more than what you're on about i would question whether or not you're interested or in love with what you do or maybe you don't even know yet so you need to give it time but if there is there is just more than just money. And this is what it comes down to an offer. Do not make a decision just because of £1,000 more. Think about the company. Because let me tell you, if you're working long hours, that £1,000 doesn't mean anything. And I know of lawyers and uh, I know people who are so fascinated and jealous that architects get to build buildings and even though it's a lower salary they make a difference you can make a school that improves people's lives it really is that simple and you can save people's lives by making a hospital which is more efficient i mean look what they did with uh, bdp did with covid right so uh, they set up the whole thing didn't they down the road where that if it did go all up on the richter scale people wouldn't die i mean that's pretty pretty serious and at the same time, though, you've got to remember that, and we can talk about this down the line another thing, that architecture was really important to me, and I absolutely love studying architecture. I did work in industry, and I found it really enriching. When I was there, there were certain things I really liked doing, though, and this career I could have never got. So architecture, being an architectural recruitment specialist, which I've done for the last six years, uh, the reason where that all comes from is working in practice. And and that's the kind of lessons that I can bring onto the team. And that's the thing now that I we can, I, us three, we all have completely different degrees, but they're all complementary. And it's my background combined with, you know, Will's tenacity and, and Jack's um, philosophical aspects. And also, <laughs> no, your substance. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, easy. I couldn't keep straight away. You're super talented team, right? but this is the point. You need to be all different. Jack, you've done. <laughs> look, you've got to take things out because, look, a person with an architectural background typically doesn't make the best recruitment specialist. And that's me. What it does do is it helps me understand who I'm talking to, and I really care about matchmaking and getting the right person to the right practice. And that's why when someone asks me straight away about, uh, 
is the salary and architecture low compared to other things. I just think it's a really wrong way of looking at it. And you probably is you said your opinion will change over time. You just got to give it a bit of time. I think most people in, in most jobs, uh, you know, regardless of profession, they always feel undervalued. You get a lot of people, particularly now, I think as well, with, with the current situation where lots of people are trying to get work at the supermarkets um, just to try and get a job because they just need something. And um, obviously they feel like they're a bit undervalued there. They do a lot of work. Same with Amazon, for example. Um, you know, you, you put a lot of work in, a lot of effort in, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And I think every job, every profession, you always feel undervalued because you always feel like you're worth more than you are. But it's um, look, you I, have I to prove yourself, thing. don't you? Will you can't, yeah, look, you, you can't, you can't rock up to a company and be like, "I am the best." Because if you say that to me, I'll go, "Are you? Why?" Tell me, and then you go, and then it's this fine line where you need to be is hungry and eager to learn. Let me tell you, right, the stuff I've learned over time that you, you, when I went to an architecture practice, I didn't know anything, and I was just it was just raw hunger and eagerness. And what you can't do, you got what you've got to do is you got to remember that if you're going somewhere, you might feel that you're worth twenty five, you might feel like you're worth twenty two. They've got to spend a lot of time and energy into that. And so part of my job right now is that I am a manager. And let me tell you, right, so we we work hard as a team. There's an element of, so when you guys joined, maybe you didn't know everything, and I impart that. But I have to do, go, do with what I – you bring your energy to the table and your hungerness to learn. The thing is, though – if you don't have that, I can't impart it. But I have the wisdom here to teach the wisdom. There you go. I feel like Gandalf the Grey now. But I have the wisdom. Or what I mean is that I am all for in teaching someone my thoughts and things if they're open-minded, right? But you need to bring that. And what you can't do is until you die. I've, I've hired people that say, hey, I know everything. And I think you too can think of a few people I'm on about, of, hey, I can do it all. And then when it comes to the crunch, it's not the case. And so you've got to be really careful not to overset your value because your value that you're on about is um, future potential. And I agree. You might be worth a hundred thousand pounds in the future, but right now, though, you've got to build that up. So there's that point of being humble because I don't think you can't you can't go in a bull in a china shop and think that you you. It's good that you have uh, your own value. You've got to be. You've, but what you've got to remember is that you've got to be given the opportunity to prove yourself. And let me tell you, when you're in a company, and if you go above and beyond. A good employer, they'll know it, and they should reflect your value. And if not, you can bring that up. But don't shoot yourself out of the opportunity. Don't cross it out until you've got there. Excellent. And um, just going on to one of the questions. There you go, Will. I got got all excited there. So sorry, Jack. My my internet connection is all going (laughs) It's coming in from uh, Benjamin. He's asking how um, how do you deal with a speculative interview? Um, so how would you follow up that? Good question, actually, because you know most interviews are going to come about from them, you know, directly asking you in for an interview. But from a speculative angle, do you think there's any different precautions that you need to take, Stephen? Because it's kind of on a different foundation, we, isn't it? What do we mean by speculative interview? <laughs> I imagine what I can imagine is perhaps they've. Either they've brought him in, like there might not be, you know, a concrete opportunity there. Oh right, they might okay. Be speculating as to whether or not 
said person could be a good fit. Everything's speculative in life, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, I I think getting in the door is half of it, and when you're in the door in the interview, you make the moment, and it's the same thing after. I would treat a speculative interview as an interview because the reality is. And it's the same thing in recruitment. So what I do is that if I see potential and if there's some level of it, you you basically you support that potential because they're more of an asset to you in the long run than saying you can't. So I'm always inclined to 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 if you see talent to make something around it. And that tends to be what a speculative interview is. The truth is there it is sometimes maybe a project falls through. The, the thing is if you smash the speculative interview, they're gonna remember you. And there's times that we've seen it in terms of what we do, where when a project comes back on, they'll hire someone. So do not think that it's a weaker interview. Do not um, do not uh, underestimate the power of speculative. And there's sometimes you go for an interview and they don't know this particular team, which you can go on and you could go on a few teams. Sometimes you go back to an interview. And that's the thing as well with this is that sometimes you have one interview and you could get called in again. I had it with, a, with one of the companies we work with, where they they interview one of our uh, one of our architects that we know, and um, it wasn't right for that team, but they invite them back the next day to talk to another team leader. So that can happen as well. It could be that then you meet the main director and then he goes and thinks you might be better suited for another team, because that's the other thing as well. Employers, uh, a good employer will think about what the company. And see the value on it. So they might they might see your value in the company and somewhere else. Let's put it that way. So they might go, oh well, it'll be good in another team in the office. And so, how do you deal with a perspective interview? I would treat it the same, and the follow up, I would do exactly the same. Excellent. Yeah. I think I like that thing as well. When you got to remember, even if it's speculative, just because a practice isn't hiring, it doesn't mean they won't hire. You know, if it's the yeah. right person, like Stephen said, if it's a good person, if they, if they, you know, if an affordable housing architecture practice finds someone who is a whiz with Revit and, you know, could really make a strong addition to the team, the likelihood is they're going to create something around that person because, you know, that person's put in the work, they're tenacious enough, they've gone about it all the right way. Um, and so an opportunity can be created. Um, so just coming to the sort of last chapter um, of this seminar, I think we're going to go into the bit of the, uh, the more negative side now, okay? So we're going to be... Negative. Yeah, Ooh. we're going to be talking about dealing with rejection. Uh, this is something Will actually touched on earlier um, with the analogy about the um, conveyor belt. And I think, you know, the good, the good thing, the good thing about rejection is it's your opportunity to really pick out the faults in where you went wrong um and so the first thing we talked about feedback in the in the first part of this now if it's a rejection i think personally for me that that's absolutely fine but what you want to do is display a mature attitude towards a person who's giving you that rejection reason being is because if someone calls you up and says oh we're really sorry you know you thought we had a really strong interview but we decided to go from someone else if you start calling them every curse word under the sun that is going to be a short conversation and you're going to gain nothing from the interview however if you flip it on its head to a more optimistic approach and if Stephen called me up and said you haven't got a job i'd say Stephen, i won't like you know that, that's sad news for me however i really appreciate you taking the time to interview me um, yeah. just while i've got you on the phone do you have 30 seconds to tell me if there's anything in the interview that i could have done better okay. if there's anything missing on my cv or my, or my portfolio 
purely to aid me going forward for the search. What that's going to do is show them that you do have a mature attitude towards your career and you're actually serious about improving yourself to get into an architecture practice. Um, so that, like Stephen said, you know, the same way with the, um, the offers, handling them, how you do it, sympathize with them, understand, you know, be mature about it and, and look for some sort of positive reinforcement from it. Find out what you could have done better. There's nothing wrong with hearing a bit of criticism if it means that three months down yeah. the line, you find the practice that you do want and, you know, you end up in there. What do you think, guys? I agree. Constructive yeah. criticism is valuable. The other thing I would add, Jack, is that the real um, impressive thing to do as well is to keep in contact. You can always contact them in six months' time as well. That I mean, no one thinks about that, but why not, right? Go, Jack, we met last year. I had a really fantastic interview. I just wanted to double check and let you and touch base to see where you're at as a business and whether or not we can we can catch up. I mean, that's what happens at my level. That's that's how people get jobs. And you won't believe, especially people down the line in your career, anyone contracting or anything like that, it's all about who you know. And when you've met someone that had a positive interview, even if they said no at that time, remember, it can be because of the project. It can be because of uh, one or two things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's because of your ability. So getting in touch um, kind of really helps. But sorry, well, I cut you off there. What were you going to say, mate? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'll give you an example why it's so important to make sure that you leave with a mature attitude because then that that's the last impression that they get. Now, the reason why that's important is that I've had uh, clients call me up and say, do you remember the person that, we we interviewed six months ago. I have a job that'd be perfect for them. Do you be, mm. be possible if you can get in contact with them? And that's the reason why, because they can. You can always just because you can get the job now doesn't mean you're never going to work that company again. Mm. That's why it's important to leave with a really good imp- uh, good impression. But it's important to get that constructive feedback because you know you you, you don't want to wait for them to come back in six months' time or a year's time. You want to you do want to make sure that your search is still. Uh, still useful now and so get that feedback off them you know be really polite very thankful and keep that door open and and then use that feedback to help you with your search going forwards and to be honest you know it might be uh, there could always be someone there could always be someone that was um, just more suited for the role because for example if you had a senior living scheme maybe they had uh, a bit of experience as a part one on senior yeah. schemes, whereas you'd be entering into new. And so, you know, there's not much you can do about that. And, yeah. and that's just the way it is really. So, you know, sometimes it's feedback that might just be something that you might not be able to even add to interviews. Maybe you did the interview well. And then in a way that ends up being good feedback for you because then, you know, you did everything right. It was just, unfortunately, there was someone else who just had just a slight bit more experience than you that picked you at the line. That's why it's important to, you know, that even then that certain that turns into positive feedback, I guess, doesn't it? Uh, for yeah. the interview, despite being rejected, and so you just use that for your next interviews going forwards. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't have much more to add to that. No, it's fine. I think uh, I like Jack's point of the thing is remember rejection doesn't feel nice, okay, and it's normal. And it goes back. I need that put that song in the background. You know when the breakup song, and you kind of like, oh, do you know what? I'm never going to make it as an architect. And you go <laughs> pick yourself up. And because when you're on about the conveyor belt, what you're on about is you're. Not, I, I know what you mean. You're not on about chug and change. What you're on about is that you're on about this production or methodology that gets you along, that gets you. It's the efficiency. It's like the whole thing of the Ford Focus. That whole the automation in the car and everything in sync and keeping going along is what gets you the job. And I think you're right. 
great, uh, uh, Jack and Will, where you're saying that if you get hung up on one company, it stops. And if you don't ask for feedback, you, you know less. And if you don't chase up with things, the process gets longer. So all the things that we're talking about, to summarize, is stuff to keep things moving along or keep you getting new opportunities or for you to, for, uh, for an offer to come in so then you can keep moving to the next step. Because one of the things what, what I was thinking the next one could be, actually, guys, is now we talk about this, is that you almost feel that now you've got a job. You're like, woo, done. So say now, let's say Jack uh, accepts and he joins uh, uh, McDonald Company architecture team. And he knows he's going to be in for a fantastic time, but we're going to go wind the clock back. And w- what is, is that maybe we can talk about preparing yourself to get a job when going into the job. Because it is, it's a bit like going to school for the first time. I was like, I'm really nervous. I'm going to work. Oh, it's going to go on. And then there's also a few things you can do to really actually boost yourself along few things we can talk about getting software getting the right thing and actually how to make an impression in the office how to get used to it and if you've not done it already i think that might be really useful what about um handing your notice in as well yeah well yeah, we'll do that down the line maybe that'll be like episode 20 because we've still episode got 20. like we've got 15 episodes of joyous amazing jobs and then you know <laughs> And then we'll finish it with how to get fired. <laughs> no, never, never get out of your fired. Hey, I tell you what, though, I think you might be onto something with um, maybe how to deal with um, stuff happening like coronavirus and redundancies, because I've been made redundant before. And let me tell you, it's, it doesn't matter if, how good you are. If Sometimes if, if for instance, an airport gets cancelled because flights are stopped going because of a worldwide pandemic, you might be put on notice and it's not because of your ability. It's because the airport's not being built anymore. So we can talk about stuff like that as well. Well, all right, great. So, I mean, I've had a, I've, I've had a really good time. And so we're all on architecturesocial.com. We're also at McDonald and company. I am back to work as well. So I will be posting roles and we all work on them together right now. So, and if you if you i will keep you updated on roles like that and if you have any uh, ideas for the social let me know again it goes back to the thing of i love the interaction here and i love the questions and i know i mean i was i highlighted a few but you know what we've got to challenge each other sometimes right because that's what makes us better and i like the fact that we all ask questions and i like the fact that you ask tough questions and we can have those discourses and that is the point about the social and that's so awesome that's what i want to make me shake my bow but i've done too much bow shaking (laughs) maybe a little let's all keep talking that's how we get successful but do you know what? It, it's true. I think the more people on that talk with each other and the more people that get involved and the more people that ask discourse and challenge each other and, and pick each other up when you have rejection and celebrate each other's success, that's a big one because it's so easy to be like, well, he got a job. I don't think I'm better. And like, no, you should be like, well done. And do you know what? Will, how did you get a job? Can you give me some tips? And it's that thing about the social and that aspect about if we all did that and we start collaborating, then in terms of Jack's uh, feedback factory, we're, go- we're going like 10, 10, 100 million miles an hour. And if you shut yourself in a box, in a little, like, oh, I'll, I'll wait to see if they come back to me, but I don't want to ask in case I'm worried, then you, you, you just never find out. It's kind of like what's it called? What's that saying? Well, head in the sand or in you know just just don't want to know. Head in the sand, burying your head in the sand. Burying your head in the sand. Yeah, it's just like well, 
if you do that, you'll never find out. And sometimes, remember, feedback is constructive. And if you ask for constructive feedback, then that's a very delicate way of saying, can you give me tips on what I need to improve? Great. Pretty good, uh, pretty good what, session today. What's constructive feedback for me? Normal, not too many bells? Too many bells or was there enough bells? Mm. Uh, too much yapping. <laughs> too much yapping. <laughs> That's what I do. Sorry. All right, great. Thank you Thanks so everyone much. for joining us this week. Enjoy Thank you, the rest of your week. All right, take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.